Well, the, the South Africa is not in a good space. Uh, the population, we have the highest unemployment in the world amongst the 42 countries whose record appears every week in the British magazine, The Economist, uh, amongst the, the leading economies in the world. So we have the highest level of unemployment. Uh, we have 20, according to the government's own statistics, uh, we have 27% uh, of all children under the age of 20s, under the age of five, stunted, uh, and a huge part of our population goes to bed hungry. That's one side of the equation, the state of the, of the welfare of the population. In terms of our skills, uh, and human capital, out of 173 countries, South Africa is number 135. So we are at the bottom of the human capital index globally. And then looking at our infrastructure, uh, for the last 17 years, South Africa has been going through a power cut regime, which the, uh, the government has completely failed to resolve. 17 years. Um, our railway system, which was one of the best in, in Africa, certainly, uh, is in a shambles so that you now get kilometers and kilometers of trucks trying to uh, taking exports to the ports. And the South African ports like Durban and Richards Bay are at the bottom of the list in terms of efficiency in Africa. Let and in the world. So South Africa is in a shambles in, a, in one way. Yeah, South Africa is in a shambles. And looking at the picture that you've just painted now, how do we then juxtapose what you've just said now to what um, the IMF is predicting, for instance, um, that uh, next year South Africa could become the biggest economy on the continent, um, surpassing Nigeria? And again, maybe in 2025, go back to the position that we currently hold, which is the second um, and sometimes the third biggest. Well, I, I think one has to take the figures of comparisons between African countries with a pinch of salt. Uh, the Nigerian economy, a huge part of the Nigerian economy is the informal sector. Now, how does the IMF measure the informal sector? A huge part of the South African economy is the formal sector, which is easy to measure. So there is really no comparison. It's not a comparison between apples and apples. It's a comparison between oranges and apples. So we have okay. to be careful about those comparisons. Mm -hmm. The shambles that you speak of, um, when you look at where the country is currently, are you able to locate where it all turned uh, for South Africa, because at some point we, for instance, as you said, we had um, the most efficient port on the ports on the continent, and that has, of course, now changed. Another issue, of course, is around electricity, and even the president has said before um, that what South Africa had before was one of the cheapest electricity rates in the world. But now, don't we, not only do we have um, amongst the most expensive electricity rate, but we don't have that electricity as well. Well, you know, remember. The South Africa, the ANC government inherited an infrastructure that was built up by the apartheid regime 
by the National Party. So the railway infrastructure, the electricity infrastructure, the port infrastructure, all these were inherited from the uh, from the National Party regime or apartheid regime, if you, if you wish. What has happened was that initially, when the ANC came into power in 1994, there was a, a feeling, a positive feeling in the country about the future of the country. And the people who had been running the railways and the people who had been running the ports and the people who had been running South African Airways, who had been running South African Broadcasting Corporation, were still in place. And the sanctions against South Africa and South Africa as a pariah status were lifted. So all of a sudden, the morale of, and not only the morale of the country grew because of we were suddenly part of the world, but we also won both the Africa Cup of Nations in soccer and the, and the World Rugby uh, Cup. So the morale of the country was in place. What then gradually started to happen was that the, the ANC government started to, to get rid of the people who had been running the infrastructure that they inherited from the National Party. And, and I would put the turning point as being at 2000, 2003, when the ANC government adopted black economic empowerment as government policy because then the 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 uh, people who were not black quote unquote realized that there is no future for them in in working in the state and in state enterprises and and then they started to look for other jobs and that's where uh, the downward spiral started to happen people who did not have the full experience and the full qualifications started to be deployed by the ANC government to run productive institutions like ESCOM and Transnet. ESCOM and Transnet are the biggest multinationals in Africa in terms of asset. And then you put people who have never run anything to, to manage them. And of course, uh, you were going to get into trouble. So I would put the turning point as being the adoption of the Black Economic Empowerment Act in 2003, which told the, the colors, the Indians and the white South Africans that they have no future in government institutions. And that is where the turning point happened. Yeah. But wasn't it also that during that particular period that that is when um, the economy was also growing and um, some analysts now, they look back and they say that was probably the last period as well that we saw government registering a, a, a surplus in its budget? Yes, of course. The, 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 there was, remember, South Africa had been under sanctions, uh, international sanctions in one form or another since Shabville, since the massacre of Shabville in a, in 1960. So when these sanctions started to get removed, the economy was bound to grow. That was one side of it. Secondly, from the collapse of the Portuguese empire in Angola and Mozambique and the intensification of the war in Zimbabwe, South Africa had been at war. So a huge amount of resources were diverted to the war effort, to building up military industries and so on. When all those, when the wars came to an end 
and the sanctions came to an end, then the economy was bound to grow. So it was to be expected that the economy would grow. But if you are not going to invest, you just depend on, on excess capacity built up during the war period, during the sanctions period. Once you reach that excess capacity, the limit of that excess capacity, that, then your economy comes to a, to a standstill, which is what happened mm. with ESCOM. Yeah, and we know where the economy is currently. And again, some political analysts will, will tell you that um, there is a link between the performance of the economy as well as uh, confidence that is expressed in the governing party. And we've seen what has happened now over um, a couple of years now, at least the past um, two centuries now, what has happened to the country's, to the country's economy. But why do you think then um, the electorate still seem to show confidence in the ANC, although, of course, it's still on a declining trajectory? Well, you, you, you have to really understand the South African electorate. The South African electorate is a very complicated animal. So you, you have to, under, to, to look at what is happening. First, if you look at the Western Cape, the ANC has no presence there. They only have about an estimated 23% of the electorate. So you can't say the people in the Western Cape, which is our third largest industrial province, have confidence in the ANC. That's point number one. Point number two, the biggest metros and industrial centers in South Africa are in Gauteng which is Pretoria, Johannesburg, and Ekuruleni. This is the heart of the industrial economy of South Africa. The populations they, they, in those three metros used to vote for the ANC. But since 2016, they, 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 the ANC vote in, the, in those three metros has declined enormously. So you can see that the major industrial centers of of South Africa have no confidence in the ANC. And this is our most educated population. This is our most skilled population. And if you lose the metros of Gauteng and of course of, of the Western mm -hmm. Cape and, 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 and Nelson Mandela Bay, it means the top sections of your population in terms of skills, in terms of education, in terms of wealth, have no confidence in you. And so you have to understand the major constituency of the ANC is now going to the rural areas and amongst the mm. poor in the urban areas. Yeah. So, so, so do you then agree with some of the polls that have run that see that there is a possibility of the ANC being pushed below that 50% threshold in Gauteng as well as KwaZulu-Natal, which are the three industrialized provinces that we've been speaking about? And also, we know, for instance, how the Democratic Alliance was able to start off with the with uh, with taking over the metro of the city of the city of Cape Town through a coalition, but eventually it became the most dominant party in. The Western Cape. Yes, absolutely. I think it's it's very clear that this is a trend that 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 is happening. The ANC is becoming increasingly dependent on the rural voters, and for the support of the rural voters, it is giving them instead of jobs and uh, it's giving them social grants and social welfare. So that is the the, the problem. With, that's what's happening to the ANC. 
uh, vote. So it, that's why I'm saying it, one shouldn't go with generalizations. You have to start to dig into the detail of the of of the of what people think of the of what voters think of the ANC leadership. Mm. What about the opposition? What do you think the opinion of um, the electorate is when it comes to the opposition? And also juxtaposing that to the decline in the voter turnout that we've been seeing in the last, I think it was the 2016 election, rather, the local government election, the ANC said that what had happened there was that people didn't come out to vote for the party, um, but they didn't come out to participate in the elections at all, so they didn't choose the opposition. Well, well, in normal language, that's called abstention. Mm. So when you have a choice to vote yes, no, and you decide not to vote, it's called abstention. That's what is happening in South Africa, especially in the metros, is that the people a big part of the people who used to vote for the ANC don't find the opposition parties to have solutions to the problems of the country. So instead of voting for the opposition, they decide to stay at home. So they abstain from participating in the process. So this shows the weakness of the opposition parties. We we have over 300 registered opposition parties in this country but they have no solution to our unemployment. They have no solution to, to our electricity supply. They have no solution to many of the, of, the, of the country's problems. All they spend the time is moaning and groaning about the ANC, but they don't tell us what their solutions are to the problem. That's what, why the, the voters have now become disillusioned with the opposition parties. Yeah. But but it almost seems as though that the opposition with this multi-party charter, we've seen also with the small uh, political parties as well, like Winston Sarah, which is very, very small, uh, come up with this idea of having a cooperation between the political parties heading into the election. Some say it may confuse um, the electorate, but there seems to be this concerted effort of the opposition actually working together to unseat the ANC. I've gone through the document that was signed uh, that was produced by the big conference uh, of these various parties that that started off as the Moonshot Pact and became the multi-party charter. All that document tells you is that these are the problems South Africa has. We have a poor ed public education system. Our railways are not working. Our airline is not working. But we all know these things, but they provide no solution whatsoever in their document as to how are they going to solve this problem. So as a voter, I have nothing to go by. I have nothing to vote for, for them to tell me that we have power cuts in South Africa. I know it. It happens every day in my house. So, so the, that's the problem with the opposition parties in South Africa. They, they, they have no solutions, which is why the voters who, who stop voting for the ANC get disillusioned and stop voting for anyone. Do you think that the EFF as the third political, biggest political party has something different to offer? Well, the, as far as I know, the, what the EFF has to offer is essentially the Freedom Charter or a modified version of the Freedom Charter. For example, they say 
that they 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 want land to be, to be to belong to the state the freedom charter said land must belong to those who work it uh, the freedom charter said monopoly industries and the banks and the mines should be nationalized uh, i that is the policy of of, of the economic freedom fighters uh, and that is the same policy now the freedom charter was adopted in 1955 uh, my arithmetic is not very good, Aldrin, but you can calculate <laughs> how many years ago that is and how relevant such policy, policies that were adopted in 1955 are to the South Africa of the 21st century. Yeah. Is it a bit strange, though, that um, you'd have a political party that is young in nature and by constituency targets as well, but they still want to hold on to um, some of these ideas and policies that were crafted in the mid-1940s leading up to 1955, and also some of the ideology that we learn in political school that have been taught in the early 1990s, or rather in the early 1900s. Yes, I, I agree with you that it's a big challenge. How come a party led by young people, I mean, uh, the EFF is led by young people like Julius Malema, Floyd Shivambu, and so on, highly educated young people but they are completely stuck in the in the past now how that happens i i don't have an answer but that is the reality the reality is this highly educated young people uh, south african uh, exclusively black african they are completely stuck in the in the twenty in the past in the twentieth century in the middle of the twentieth century. We we are now in the end of the first quarter of the twenty first century. Now, how they are stuck in the past, I I have no explanation. I have no idea why. A final one: um, the possibility of a DA ANC coalition and a possibility of an EFF ANC coalition at a national level. Uh, what do you think that looks like and what could it offer the country? Well, a, a DA, a, an ANC, DA or ANC, EFF solution, the ANC will still be the big brother. They are the biggest party. You know, if, if you remember in our last election, which was the, the local government election in November 2021, the ANC fell below 50% but it got 46% of the vote. So the ANC will remain, at least I think in the next election, as the single largest party. The fragmentation of opposition parties means that they remain small parties. So nothing mm. will change whether you have a DA ANC or ANC EFF, nothing will change because the ANC will remain the dominant player and the ANC will dish out positions for for their new coalition partners, but but the policies, or more accurately, the lack of policies that that we are li living under under the ANC will continue. Yeah. Does that mean that you still see the ANC um, going above the fifty percent threshold? No, or no, just I that don't. It will be a dominant no, political I, party. Yeah, I think I think it will be a dominant political party, even if it falls below. 50%. But the evidence we have now, besides what the polls are saying, the practical concrete evidence 
where the 20, 2021 local government elections where the national side of the vote, the ANC only got 46%. So we know that the ANC already in the last election went below 50%.